without my dad, <laughs> we for sure would have been gang members because with him, we were still fascinated by the culture. Of course. There's so many elements that you yeah. just, you look at and you're like, hey, that's cool. That's masculinity. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's, it's everything that we inherently crave. Mm-hmm. Plus some things that we wouldn't sign up for if we knew what the ends yep. actually are. You're listening to MHD Off the Record. On this episode, we speak with Daniel D. Smoke Ferris, an acclaimed American rapper, singer, and songwriter who rose to fame after winning Netflix's Rhythm and Flow in 2019. Known for his seamless blend of rap, R&B, jazz, and gospel, and for incorporating both English and Spanish in his lyrics, D. Smoke's music often tackles themes of social justice, community, and identity. His debut album, Black Habits, released in 2020, was critically praised and earned him a Grammy nomination for Best Rap Album. With a background as a music educator and a family deeply rooted in music, D. Smoke's work is characterized by its lyrical depth, musicality, and a mission to inspire and educate. Enjoy the show. So I've awesome. been dying to sit with you, so thank you for coming. Absolutely. I've uh, been dying to hear your story. I've read bits and pieces of it. I read the album. You know, I've listened to the album, and I'm a person that listens to lyrics. Hey, there we go. So, you know, I've heard a lot about you, your family, where you live. Just so you know, I'm in, I live in 92nd and Van Ness. Hey. So, okay. like, I'm around the corner. Hey, <laughs> like, hey, hey. like, all the pictures you paint are uh, very, very vivid to me. So how'd you grow up? What's your sort of first memory of music? Um, My first memory of music in particular was um, my mom teaching me uh, piano. Oh, wow. And so um, as early as six years old, she was teaching me, you know, from Mary Had a Little Lamb to to, uh, the Star Wars songs into like Furry Lease. And then by the time I was 10, it was like, Chopin and Beethoven. Oh, wow. So that's that's where it all started. And then by the time I was like 10, she had taught me and my brothers like a lot of music theory theory ranging from, you know, harmonies and chord progressions. And and at the time, my uncle, his name is Andrew Goucher, he was touring with people ranging from from Destiny's Child to, wow. to Shaka Khan and Prince. He was Prince's last bass player. But he used to do these jam sessions called Praise Connection where all the gospel musicians in Los Angeles would come together. And um, that was the one night out of the week we were allowed to stay up <laughs> late, late. Even though we had school the next day, it was a Sunday night. and uh, But we would be there till like 1, 2 a.m. Wow. Because that was, you know, we always had our parents' support, you know. Um, my dad, he was in prison till I was eight, almost about to turn nine years old. Mm-hmm. And so it was that duality that, that characterized my experience. It was music, love, faith, all in the home. My mom had recently, um, like the point at which my memories start mm-hmm. is is almost exactly parallel to when my mom got sober from drugs. Wow. Like I, I remember nothing before that. Wow. Like everything right at that point she had. She was only uh, eight months sober from drugs uh, when she got a job as a minister of music at this new church. And um, I actually remember a little bit from the church prior to that. What church What church was it? Uh, Bible Enrichment okay. in Inglewood. Okay. Bam Crawford is the pastor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so she's been there for... Apostle Bam Crawford. Apostle yeah, Bam Crawford, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's been there for 30 plus years. Oh, wow, know? okay. Yeah, and so. is, she, is she still with... Um, She's still playing church? Yeah, she does. She's wow. still there. Yeah. Very nice. So, um, and of course, since she's released projects, she's, you know, my mom wrote the song My Help, which was recorded several times, including uh, the first time it was recorded, it was with my mom's voice on uh, Bam Crawford's Purpose, the church's project. Mm-hmm. And then the other times include C.C. Winans, Brooklyn wow. Tabernacle, wow. you know, major projects, huge gospel choirs in Africa. Um, and so my first couple times going to Africa was with her because once they discovered she's the, the writer and the voice and the mind behind that song, you know, they flew her to Nigeria to perform in front of oh my masses of people. And, and stuff. how old were you when you were running back and forth to the continent? Um, that was in my late 20s okay. with her, yeah, because at the time we were working on um, another gospel project um, that she did called Big God, Little Me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um so yeah, it's, it's been a long journey in music. Um, 
me and my brothers were signed as early as like 10, 11, and 12 to, oh, really? to DreamWorks Records under Gerald Busby, who wow. had a lot to do with uh, Boys to Men's uh-huh. success. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, he got sick with diabetes, so he um, all of his artists ended up getting dropped, which, thank God, we had a, a normal childhood. And uh, so, again, we go back to that that um, duality. We're in public schools in Inglewood. Yeah. You know, after having been signed and being growing accustomed to so you get signed limos. do you do you drop out of school and do homeschool or you you just roll in like you know what like any other kid not not homeschool we were in a private school in in late elementary and early middle school mm-hmm. um get signed get dropped so the funds because gerald change. busby he doesn't come back from that right no he okay, doesn't all no. right, okay. yeah so he, he ended up passing mm-hmm. um you the funds slow down. We can't afford tuition. We go back to public school. I finished eighth grade at Warren Lane. Okay. You know, they talk about jumping me because I wore too much blue. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, they come to find out, you know, they my, my brother's an OG from Inglewood, and they like, okay, well. So it's, it's, it's us back and forth between, like, having a very wholesome, loving household. And, by the way, when my dad came home from jail, he was an incredible father, you know super present from academics because he was extremely intelligent loved math so we had a tutor in the home um to to invest in in like whatever we love martial mm-hmm. art when we were in the martial arts we competed at like the regional and state level and won and all these things and um so we had a really healthy home really healthy activities but we were still in the hood and very much aware of what was going on around us and and influenced by it to be honest so really that's where you get the the character or the 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 content behind my artistry like i'm I'm very intentional about talking about what i see but from my perspective right right you know i had i'm privileged to not to know outside no life outside of gangs life outside of all this but Mm -hmm. i'm also extremely aware of what Inglewood looks like what what role does your dad because i'm very fascinated by this question and and listening to your you storytell in mm-hmm. your music about the role of your mother and father Absolutely. what role do you, do you think your dad plays in making it so you don't get you don't ever really get fully recruited right oh i mean onto the set is my dad without my dad <laughs> we for sure would have been gang members because with him, we were still fascinated by the culture. Of course, there's so many elements that you yeah. just you look at and you like, hey, that's cool. That's masculinity. That's when cool. You're a kid. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. It's it's everything that we inherently crave, mm-hmm. plus some things that we wouldn't sign up for if we knew what the ends yep. actually are. And so many gang members will tell you, like, you know, it's for the birds. That they'll tell you from within, like, this is not, it's not a lifestyle. Right. You right. know the the documentary bastards of the party he says um i forget his the, the gang member's name but he's the one that plays in training day too he said uh, gang banging isn't a lifestyle it's a death style yep but it doesn't change the fact that as a young man going through those stages you like look if i don't have if i didn't have pops it's automatic right right because every test that you need to prove to yourself um the things that you want to know about yourself is there mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like you said masculinity um leadership organization camaraderie ingenuity ingenuity you know it's it, there yeah, strategy it, yeah. it's some of the smartest people i know mm-hmm. chose that route you mm-hmm. know and so i also and, and i don't i don't like to sit up on no high hearts like i went the other direction the other direction because i'm very much connected to people in gangs i'm very much connected to a crew of my own that just never require me to do gang stuff right but, but they also let me know like if it comes to it we here <laughs> right, you know what right. i'm saying so you're you and we're and exactly we're, we're us yeah but it was also like i've i've been in the boxing gloves with with grown men at like 15 years old in the backyard like and not in the ring where it's like yeah. a ref and stuff yeah. like you get in the, <laughs> I got in the boxing gloves thinking I'm a box. He tried to fight me like we was at the club, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm grateful for both sides. Mm-hmm. And so as an educator, I always thought like, how do we recreate the types of experiences that that build in these many rites of passage sure. for men to gain those, those little nuggets of knowledge of self as a man without risking their life, without 
subjecting themselves to a way of thinking that's so below who they can actually be right, or that's right. so destructive or so toxic, mm-hmm. you know, because ultimately you discover that even all the things that, that appeal to young men and gangs, they're um, illusions, the brotherhood. It's not the brotherhood you thought it was. Yep. The camaraderie. When it comes down to it, it's not the camaraderie you thought it was. You know. Well, the people don't have the capacity Absolutely. to be your brother. No. Like they, as much as they may want to, if they can't protect themselves, they certainly can't protect you. Absolutely, absolutely. When I was when I was a teacher at Inglewood High School, I had a group called Bone um, that stood for Brothers and Nothing Else, and it was a mentorship group, and we did some of everything from field trips to. Um, UCLA, where we talked to like the uh, Professor Tyrone Howard at UCLA mm-hmm. had the Black yeah. Male Institute. Yep. He's a mentor of mine, and um, so we gone up there. We went on, you know, to Kenneth Hahn on exercising trips. You know, hit, hitting that hill like boot camp, boot camp, <laughs> um, books, discussions. Um, you know, I, I think the what is the statute of limitations is long enough to say I got in the gloves with the kids you know what yeah, I'm saying yeah, it's yeah. been long enough like yeah. I've you know cause that's what my brothers did with me so it's like look I understand the need to to know where you stand in a, in a physical confrontation yeah. you know if we create because I believe there should be boxing gyms in schools I have yeah. I have like three main things that if if somehow we were able to push through legislation, we could do some dope stuff in schools. I believe that there should be like, like there should be boxing gyms in schools, martial arts, something where it's like within a control setting, students, you know, because we play football. So we right, can't no. say that contact, we can't say Look, that contact is, football is as dangerous as anything, any sports you could ever play. Every society in the world young boys do some version of fighting whether it's sports yep. whether it's martial arts whether it's boxing whether it's wrestling that's it's healthy. just happens it's healthy. <laughs> like, and it's going to keep happening yes so that's one thing i think the second thing if if we were to push something through that changed how uh public schools are structured it would be that there can be a revolving door where young professionals on their way into other careers yeah have funding where they can come in and teach like I wasn't I knew I wasn't aiming to be a tenured teacher I never got a teaching credential but whether it be Miss Tate believing in me at Inglewood High School saying hey look um, we can I can put a word through the district to get you this temporary permit you just have to go sign up for a, a credential program you know that got my foot in the door I didn't end up getting the credential. So after two years, she was like, yeah. are you in school? I said, no. She said, it's been fun. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> then, I went to, then I went to a charter school. They, mm-hmm. And in the charter schools, they had a way of doing it for longer periods of time because it was like, we can contract you a different way. And, yeah. You know, so, but there shouldn't be that much, that many, that much red tape right, for a right. young, talented professional on their way into a career that's, super promising it because one them going into the career is still a benefit to the school of course because now you have this pipeline have a connection so the the credential program is kind of like you know when you're in undergrad they have like a, uh what is it called practicum uh, no no the the school what are the classes the weeder the yeah, the, no. the class get that gets you out the major. If you, I feel like the credential program can can be that, oh, right? I see, because I see, I see. for me, it was, especially if you're teaching while going for the credential. Yeah. Um, if I'm teaching while going for my credential, when my main goal is music, it doesn't leave me much room to really dedicate myself to yeah. what yeah. I'm there to do. So in a sense, it's keeping people in the field of education. It's like, this is where you pledge education, you know. Whereas if it's like, okay, of course, do the things that make that 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 screen somebody to make sure they deserve to be there. Right. Yep. Um, whatever the interview process is, whatever the background check, fingerprinting, but requiring them to go to a program which is really learning from the expertise of the talented students in the program. Exactly. Mind you. When I exactly. when I when I, you know, talked in my credential program, they were like, oh, that was great. What, what did you say again about? Right. What? And I'm like, wait, hold on. Who's teaching who? You know, so. But it's, it's. Uh, I have a very controversial view on this. I, I feel like every citizen 
before they hit 25 years should do two years of some type of service. That, no, that's exactly like what in our education system, in our medical system, you know, that we already have it for the military mm -hmm. uh, and our other systems because those systems need new blood, blood all the time. All the time. Uh, and the, if you're a professional, I mean, some of the greatest teachers I've ever known, you can phys you can watch them hit a wall. And they can show up, they look the same, they sound the same, but they're, you know, they just lost the flame. For sure. And, you know, when the kid gets a little bit out of line, they, they don't have that extra energy to... To do what's productive. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you need energy for, you know, that person. You know, I remember being a community organizer and there was a point in my life where, you know, we knew if we sent a kid home, they were going to go home we were going to drop them off at the house and they were going to walk down the street and they were going to be, be with the set and we might not ever see him again. And so we had to sit there with like, we had to like, okay, come go to the movies with me or, you know, come to this, come to the music studio. This person we know is recording. Mm -hmm. We just had to figure out stuff to do. And there's a point in your life where you have that energy. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a point where you get past that. For and, sure. and you shouldn't just say, Oh, your job is the teacher. It's all on you. And the rest of us turn our backs kept Say. peanut butter and jelly in my cabinet yeah <laughs> when when i was there you know so yeah. in between classes like hey look let's make a sandwich man Are you tripping yeah, yeah. and it was yeah. like how 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 mad can you be at a teacher who's like hey you got to stay after class oh i'll write you a pass to your next one then it's like here let's make a sandwich yeah and then then you really realize like they hadn't eaten nothing and it's third period yep you That's know what right. i'm saying That's like right. i can't even i'm i'm grumpy you know what i'm saying <laughs> right. myself if i don't yeah. I also want to hear like, how'd you get to UCLA, and did you keep doing music while you were at UCLA, or did mm -hmm. so how does that experience? Because you're in the, you're like, in the post affirmative action, set of black students at at UCLA. Is that right? Um, I know. Yes, there was a time so when the Prop Two Hundred Nine ended yeah. affirmative affirmative yeah. action. So That's right. I was in the lone one of the lonely classes. Right, right. Uh, but, at UCLA, but the black students were more militant once yeah. you got the number got real small. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We were, we're a special breed. So, um, like, despite me, like, I have a song called Inglewood High. Mm -hmm. uh, what I said, my uh, my brother sang and Sir chose to ball for his past. I chose to get perfect grades and catch fades in the grass. You know, so it was mm -hmm. like, so I went to Warren Lane. I graduated with a 3.4. Wow. That's where I learned the distinction between honor roll and principal's honor roll. So there's this whole group of people that are like, now for the smartest people in the school. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, hold on, wait, 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 what's happening, right? Because <laughs> in my head, I was just, I, was, I had been academically competitive. Like, mm -hmm. um, but going from private school to Warren Lane was such an adjustment that it's like, you know, I, you know that last year I, I did okay for me when I was coming from getting a 4.0 at the private school with 16 people in the class and every student 16 people in that entire class not just in your class right but it's like class, it's yeah. one class per grade mm -hmm. 16 people each is 48 people in this you know what i'm saying if my math is correct in this middle school um so but it was at the graduation where they were like and the the valedictorian is Tiffany Annaberry. Give it up for the smartest girl in the school. And I remember being like, I know her, but she ain't got me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm smarter than Tiffany Annaberry. And she's, I mean, I've spoken to her. I've told her this story that how much that was like sparked me. And then, so I would go into high school. And, and because one thing I understood is like, there were grades that I knew, like, there's no way that I deserve that B. You think I am cool with it. So you give it to me, like, okay. I know he's kind of smart, B, because I see a little black boy, you know, mm -hmm. I don't assume that he's going to be after my head for this A. And I may take some stacks of papers. I may give homework every day, but I may grade it once every week, and I'm doing it every day. And as a teacher, I really learned some of the things that happen in terms of grading, like when they, teachers get overwhelmed and that their system is flawed. Yeah. So it's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion and feeling that goes into how the final grades end up. And, and um, so I would go in the, in the Inglewood High School first day of each semester and tell a teacher, like, hey, look, my name is Daniel Ferris. I'm going to get an A in your classroom, and I'm going to earn it. Mm -hmm. They're like, what? I have braids. I'm wearing chucks and hoodies and stuff. And they're like, sure. <laughs> Turn in my first couple tests. They're like, oh, he's, he does his thing. All my homework, need all that. So 
first semester 4.0, second semester 4.0, first semester of 10th grade, uh, all A's, a B, and a C, right? And it's the semester grades. It's supposed to be permanent, but I know how I get down, so I'm, damn, I'm steaming in the house. My mom's like, what's wrong? She sees it. She's like, oh, no, we up there the next day. <laughs> so we go up there. Mind you, the C was in band. Wow. I got I got kicked off the bus on the way to a Martin Luther King Day parade where Inglewood High School marching band mm-hmm. used to march. I got kicked off the bus over a wave cap because I wanted my braids to be fresh when he stepped out. And he said, boy, we ain't no ghetto hoodlums. Take that off your head. Get, hands it to his wife. He gets on the other bus. I'm like, ma'am, can I have it back? I'm going to put it away. I didn't put it back on. He finds out that I have the wave cap. And he's like, get off my bus. Mm. And that's supposed to be your party of final grade. So he gave me an F on the final exam and a C in the class. Livid. I'm talking about, li- I'm yeah, like, bro, I'm be. not him. Yeah. yeah. You don't you don't punitively grade me. You know what I'm saying? I'm the only classically trained pianist in the whole band. He's trying to find places to put me, you know. And so my parents go up there. My dad is 6'4". He's chill. My mom, 5'7". She's going berserk. And my dad is like, my dad is like, baby, calm down, baby, chill out. And then so he's like, oh, I'll I'll give him a a makeup practice exam where he can play a classical piece as his makeup. I mean, makeup final exam because the march was supposed to be your final. I've never played... Uh, Chopin better than that day. Like I was so <laughs> upset, and I just played it perfectly, and he gave me an A minus, and I was like, I was wow. like, I was like, I'm never. I, that was my only year in band, and um, and then the other one was just a long term sub. We just told him like, hey, look, does this look right? <laughs> like he saw my grade, my transcripts, like, oh, sorry, I changed. <laughs> you know, and then um, and then the only B that stuck on my. And it's so weird that music did that and then Spanish, which ended up being my major. Your two main things. Two yeah. main things. Spanish. My only B on my on my high school transcript is in Spanish 3. And Dr. Decker did his second semester and studied abroad so I couldn't challenge it during the summer. Wow. So Because wow. I knew what I... I went yeah. in there. I was about it. I was, I was like an athlete when it came to school. I finished my homework before I left. Like, so it was like... I, once we hit the city, we, we belonged to the city. So, so how'd you adjust to UCLA? It was a shock. It was a shock. My first quarter, I was in uh, FSP, freshman summer program, and it was people from different hoods in LA. And mm-hmm. uh, me and this one dude named Vernon, we kind of beefed. He was from the jungles, and he was just real vocal about, man, I'm from the jungles and this and that. And so <laughs> I'm like, at UCLA. Yeah, we both at UCLA. So I'm like, bro, why are you up here acting like a banger? And he was a gang member, though. He was a legitimate gang member. And so we beefed in there, and then come fall quarter when everybody actually hit because it yeah. was it was just like a couple groups taking classes sure when everybody hit and we realized how many uh white and asian people were there and how outnumbered we were the first time i saw vernon on campus i must have shouted him out from a football <laughs> field away like vernon he's like what i'm smoking and then we chopped it up like bro it was just so like, I, I came from Inglewood where it's 55% Latino, 45% black. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, uh, and the culture, even though there's beef, it's weird because in the hood, it, it, there's beef, but everybody cares about something or somebody. Yep. There's no, it's, and there's. People are, people are related. For sure. That's what's Connected. wild about it. Man, the whole, I'm, the whole tunnel vision, like, I don't care about your life culture kind of, yeah. because we're so ambitious that. I see past all of this, especially if, because people are also taught that the culture of being ambitious is a dangerous one because people are also taught to network with the people. They network vertically, mm-hmm. right? Right, that's right. That's so right. when there's the they assumption that you come from a way. Exactly. Yeah. So when there's the assumption that you come from a place that doesn't have all the resources in the world, it's like, excuse me, I'm, I'm going somewhere. And I've been taught not to associate with you kind of thing. So mm-hmm. as a black person, some of that was in my head, right? Because you got to get over like, dang, it's not many of me here. But then some of that was real in that, you know, um, I just, I've seen racism mm-hmm. like now, very present racism. There's a whole racist ass newspaper that was still allowed to be disseminated on campus. Yeah, yeah. Like 
the Bruin Standard used to say outlandish stuff. Yeah. But the freedom of speech on campus and freedom of organizing protects that. If we did something like that, it'd be different. You know what I'm saying? Because then they're going to be like, oh, hate speech. But mm -hmm. so that was that was something um, that I've seen firsthand. And, and so I got my first year, I built a studio with my financial aid refund check. Wow. And my parents let us convert the whole garage. Okay. Into, I'm talking about have an electrician come through, wire everything so we could run major equipment, soundproofing padding, soundproofing board, then drywall, hardwood floor, built off a booth, double panel walls. And it's we have pictures of us doing it ourselves off out of a home improvement wow. book that we got from Home Depot. And so... Um, and we've since done that two more times. Like I've had a storefront in Inglewood where where we did the same thing. But um, that's so when I got to UCLA, it was like something always had to give. I was acting throughout high school too. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so I was on Judge and Amy, CSI, The District, Boston Public. This movie called Our America. Okay. And so I was auditioning throughout those years. And then when I got to UCLA, we built a studio. I was you know, reading more books than I ever read ever. Like I was great in math, but I don't remember reading like that in high school. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. and they were like, "You got to finish this one, this one, and this one this week." I'm like, what do you mean? Right, it's right. a lot of reading, you know. So, um, so I I ended up taking a pause from acting. We ended up getting signed while I was a student. Like my my third year, or something we got signed to Warner Chapel and publishing deals. While I was at UCLA, wrote a song for Jaheem that went gold. Um, it was number one on adult R&B charts and got ASCAP award. And so um, my first job, and this is all over the place, but my first job out of college was for the organization that hired me as a tutor while I was in there. So I never chose education. I was recruited. So I see. My mentor, Julian Gordon, um, who now mentors young families on how to purchase uh, rental property and create mm -hmm. passive income and mm -hmm. um, the multifamily movement is his mm -hmm. movement um, but he pulled me off the walk like I got a site at your old high school at Inglewood High you know fill out a job application you know I was like I don't need to work I got a full scholarship he was like man it's paid travel time you need extra bread he was like he's like just come fill it out then I was like alright whatever then he then he's blowing up my phone like alright the interview is I, uh, I guess you know <laughs> then he's like alright you go out next week he's like you go out next week make sure you fill out your time card so that we can pay you and I'm like how did I I just stumbled into it yeah but then once once I got back to Inglewood's campus it was like okay I'm, this is my stomping ground you know? right this is your people Sure. So, uh, so you're out of UCLA. You're into the business now. You got a song mm -hmm. uh, that's published, uh, that's recorded, that pops, mm -hmm. um, and you got these experience where you're still connected. You're you're working with young people. You're a Spanish teacher, yep, um, and you're an activist, and you're an artist, and all of this kind of just blows up on your your first record well well if you've read the book the alchemist right mm -hmm, there's a lot mm -hmm. of parallels where it's like you have this early early success to kind of hook you into your dreams and then things go away you know mm -hmm, what i'm saying mm -hmm, there was mm -hmm. that um like from like managers that promised us the world and didn't turn out to have our best interests at heart us becoming jaded not getting calls back from the people who who we gave them our hit gave them hits for so they're touring on songs that we wrote and, and they won't call you back right wow. and so it's like we're still as writers there's a whole lot about there's a whole lot about the music industry that's not necessarily fair for writers as you're getting into it the top writers of course they eat but when you're making it as a writer or you're just breaking into it it was a challenge and that's what pushed us into artistry you know um long story short my homeboy named Chiz, who I grew up with, who went to Cal State Northridge. I went to UCLA. He was my roommate. Went to Inglewood, Warren Lane. He ended up passing when we was like 25. Mm. So he was supposed to be the rapper. I was producing and writing R&B songs, playing classical piano. But, you know, so I'm a late bloomer in rap. As I'm, I'm still getting better. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, but, but that's why, like, how my trajectory was. It was, it was like... I had to live through the stuff that inspired the artistry um, and made it real and made it personal. So. Tell me about the boxing gym. You hooked up with a couple yes. brothers from 
our neighborhood and For you sure. have a boxing gym in my district on Broadway. Yes, sir. Um, yes, tell sir. me, tell me how you arrived at, at that and what you think, what you feel like the future is. So, and it's a perfect transition when the homie passed, the homie Chiz, you know, me and him was in a rap duo called Park Circle, which is a street in Inglewood. Yep. Um, when he passed, um, I took rap more seriously and I dove into boxing, like dove full-fledged as a grown man 25 is like it wow. might as well be 40 years old in boxing. boxing yeah you know what i'm saying so but my first my first amateur boxing match i was 26 and um i won i fought three times that year one all three wow and um and i was uh i was on my way to i wanted to fight 10 times and then go pro fight in mexico fight often and build my record up till i could start talking to the sam watsons and stuff who who even back then they were familiar with me. Sam Watson saw me host a boxing match at Broadway Boxing Gym when it was when it belonged to Miss Larkins. Oh wow! And wow. Um, so he was, the, you know, he would come in and see the amateur fights, and they Miss Larkins had me host it because I was bilingual, so I would say everything in English and Spanish. And he was just like, "Hey man, take my number. I like you, kid." You know. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm like, "All right, I'm gonna go sock up some people <laughs> Sam will here." Juice you, Sam will juice you up. You know. So. <laughs> But um, but Broadway was for me, like personally, selfishly, a space of like processing a lot of turmoil and trauma that I was experiencing in my mid twenties. Like I see. it was a place where I'd never look at my phone except to take pictures with the homies after we sweated sweated out. You know, um, it was it was a place where the rhythm and the smell of it is just like infectious and it's something that just feels so much like home like and now as an owner of broadway boxing gym it's like our challenge is how do we fix all that needs to be fixed while still maintaining this very real feeling of home this very rich history and um and make it something that the community can come back to you know so um but broadway was before before miss larkin's pass it was just a place for me and I'm from Inglewood, so I'm not technically supposed to be in Broadway That's like right. that, you That's know. Right. So according to the gangs, but again, when you when you you know move with with a certain level of self-respect, confidence, and fearlessness, and, and just love, then people don't see that on you, you know. So I like I walked right up to G Perico the day of I think it was my first fight, mm-hmm. like because when the whole community came out, the whole community came out. Uh. So you know, they had a line outside for all the boxing matches about to happen. G Perico pulls up, all his homies is on motorcycles, all the broadways. I go outside like they was like, Oh, G Perico out there. You know, he had started he had been popping for years. So I right. go out to him, shake his hand like, Hey, what's up? I'm D Smoke. I'm a rapper from Inglewood. And I'm mm-hmm. my hands is already wrapped, so I'm obviously <laughs> about the box. But he was like, Okay, for sure, cool, man, good to meet you. And then so we stayed in contact, but it was when Miss Larkin started got getting sick. I had the, the thought had crossed my mind to be like, I would wanna. I like would what wanna happens own. next? Yeah. Her son was still alive, uh, so I never, I, out of respect, I didn't hit her like I would want to own the gym. Yeah, you know, even though she loved me like her own son. Like when I was fighting Miss Larkins, they would have people from other gyms come in, and then I was, I was solid, like sound. I rode my bike everywhere, even though I had two cars. I ride my bike to Westchester to teach. Wow. Back to my studio wow. in Manchester and Manchester and La Brea, then to Broadway and back. And that's with weightlifting, cardio, and countless rounds of sparring in between. And so my and her relationship was such that if somebody came from another gym, super in shape, you know, looking for work, she'd be like, Spar Daniel. And, and sometimes these dudes was big and I'd size them up, be like, all right, I got him, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so... It was just warm, but you know, she ended up passing and we all had that the challenge on our hands, like, look, we have to get in contact with the family immediately because they're not tied to the business. Right. And they have right. this multi million dollar property, mm-hmm. crazy square footage that they've inherited. First thing they're gonna do is be like, Let's sell it. Let's right. Let's get the and, money. And so, um, but we know what it is to the community. So we was like, Let's let's get it and protect it. So. Well, congratulations. We're very proud of what's been done there. What's your vision for? Where do you see it going? Uh, my vision is for the main boxing space to to renovate the things that need to be renovated while protecting the the rich boxing culture and the history, all the pictures, saving them 
you know what I'm saying, figuring out a way to frame them so that it, they still get posted up, but they're protected because they're literally like double taped to the wall and stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But then also have, there's there's a front room space that um, if we get the the top the top level that we can have a whole a whole aerobic space there oh, wow. because it was a lot of storage just 50 years of stuff that we just took out and mm-hmm. it was a useless stuff that it just accumulated and so now there's a whole there's a whole lot that can be repurposed the bathrooms of course can bathrooms locker room that whole experience can be more state of the art but and so that's the kind of renovations we want to make happen have the clear window on the second floor like they have at the equinoxes and all that stuff so the classes can happen in that front space but the boxing can be from anywhere from a beginner to professional level boxing because that's what will happen in there like what do you what are the best known boxers to come out of the broadway gym the best known boxers to come out of broadway boxing gym um they're they're there aren't any like world champions and that was something that that was just like hard to believe because there was such a high level of like competition and training right, there you know the... but you know on the wall there's so many people to have come through Bar- white boxing gym you know denzel trained a little bit in there um i forgot why what he was what movie he was training for he had the movie where he played a boxer uh Hurricane. 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 Okay, yeah, that's hurricane. okay. Yeah. So he came through there when he was training for Hurricane. Um, Mike Tyson, Sam Watson didn't brought so many people through oh, by yeah, Broadway. Sam, yeah. So, um, so it's it's. Um, I mean, there are a lot of boxers. Boxing is one of those sports you can have. You can make a a doctor salary and still not be known. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, for several years, you know, mm-hmm. only Mayweather is up there. Like, like he's a household name. And he's a genius in terms of how to take fights and create that kind of brand. Right. Um, but um, so there are lots of young fighters that are like got signed that I've seen get signed to De La Hoya and fighters that have, you know, cool careers where they make a couple hundred thousand dollars over the course of a couple of years. But then they're like that that barrier breaking yeah. into like yeah. fame and stardom. Um, there's no one way to do it, but you got to figure it out like. Well, we're very excited about the gym. Uh, that stretch of Broadway, you know, there's new grocery store coming in, big housing developments. Across the street is the um, the uh, New Testament uh, Baptist Church. That's where Aretha Franklin recorded "Amazing Grace." And I've seen that. I yeah. didn't know that's yes, what that's the- where she recorded that that album. So uh, that's we've made it a historic landmark. Uh, and they're in the process of refurbishing it, so they're going to get it exactly to the specifications it was when she recorded that that record there wow so that you know they were sweating in that oh it was tight it was they were sweating no it was it was tight and you know and people were like you know um everybody was there for her recording it was recorded over a two-day period uh because they couldn't get the whole thing done uh james cleveland was doing um the the uh, music direction playing the piano doing the keys wow. and it's you know you see Mick Jagger sitting in a pew like <laughs> watching uh, soaking so it, up yeah like trying to steal in basically <laughs> um, right so uh, so it, so that's a very exciting corridor and we're happy to have the the Broadway uh, gym there uh, I'm eager to hear what's next for music for you 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 have a particular brand of music. It's very LA. It mixes Spanish and English. It mixes R and B and hip hop. Yeah. It mixes, you know, uh, funk and soul and jazz. There was a moment, you know, we went to a show, or or someone took me to a show. I don't know if it was your brother's show or your show, but there was this scene that stuck with me. Like I will never forget it. And I go to a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. There was a scene where whichever one of you was leading, uh, called the other out and you sat on the floor and your mom came out and played the piano that was sir's show at the novo in downtown that was like yes i go to a lot of shows and i I cannot remember a moment i remember that that night yeah sir brought me out this was in 2019 right after i won rhythm and flow he brought Uh me out he brought davion out at one point and then he brought my mom out because it's like we just have a special experience in music to where it's like the whole family and I think people deserve to see where it comes from. Yeah. And so, yeah. That we was felt like we were in your living classic. room and 
And, you know, and I grew up in a bunch of living rooms like that. So I could, it, it, I felt like everybody could relate to it. The living room is the first stage. Yeah. It's the yeah, first yeah, stage. Yeah. 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 First stage. Yeah. yeah. So what's in the queue? You working on something? Absolutely. Uh, I have a, uh, I have an album that I'm working on. Um, it's It's got some amazing collaborations, some beautiful music. I'm doing a lot of production on there. It's got the spirituality. It's got the... It's got rap on there. I'm filming for uh, the third season of Mayor of Kingstown. Okay. Yeah, so I did seven episodes on season two. My character is one of the leaders on season three. I just finished doing some filming. And help, help the audience. Kingstown streams on which service? That streams on Paramount+. Paramount, Plus. that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I just helped out on season two of Rhythm and Flow. Mm-hmm. Came back... Um, I can't say in what capacity, just so I don't want to give it away. But I, you will see me at some point. Okay. Um, and um, and I turned in a book and got you know. The, I was just going to ask you when you're going to write. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I, I I was writing as a substitute teacher, so that wow. one was written. Okay. And so um, excited about that. But I think with all the things going on, I think the question that has to be answered for the fans and for the public is like. Okay, with all this going on, what's the music sound like right now? Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, when I'm not filming on Mayor Kingstown, I'm shooting videos in LA for the next project. And, and so, I think the, the type of music that we're making deserves to have the right visuals. It deserves the rollout. You know, it deserves the moments that allow people to digest the music. Um, you know, back in the day. You know, and I'm old enough to say back in the day now. Yeah. You know, yeah. back in the day when an album came out, you would sit and listen to it. That's right. The, the market wasn't so saturated that you would just... And we didn't have the means to just cut off music. It wasn't packaged that way. That's right. That's you know, right. it wasn't a button away from being a whole nother artist, a whole nother project. And, a, you know... And if you could get a hold of a record, you was going to listen to it. listen to it. Yeah. Oh, you're going to listen to it. It was a thing. You know, so... Um, and so I didn't get into vinyls till I was an, ad- an adult, but I, I'm old enough and young enough to know about, you know, when you had to flip the cassette tape over, yep. Outkast and AT Aliens. And, yep. and so um, now is there's such a science to making sure that people get to hear the music because, you know, not every, not all music has so much love and content and depth to it, you know, um, so people kind of have to be conditioned, reconditioned mm-hmm. to love and respect and spend time with music for their own benefit in my belief you know because it's i still believe that music is still one of the most powerful mediums to reach people to build people uplift people and educate people so um we still doing exactly that shout out to the other people doing it i'm excited to hear what coast contra puts out that's like i'm hearing them rap and i'm like hey they rapping rap so, it's shout uh, out to Coast Contra. you know, LA's. I'm always a big fan. Of, I'm a big fan of LA in general, but mm-hmm. the music and art scene at this moment mm-hmm. seems particularly palpable. Um, I mean, it's there's the big people everybody knows about, but mm-hmm. there's these small projects like or or very uh, segmented marketing mm-hmm. markets mm-hmm. Uh, where people are putting out mind blowing work for sure. It's sure. uh, it's exciting. Uh, all right, now I got lightning round. Uh, I got my producer doing the hand signal that you got to finish because gotcha. uh, I could stay here all day. Gotcha. Uh, so uh, lightning round, something we do on every show. We're compiling a list for everybody. It's about South L.A., our community. Uh, we ask you one question. You just take a beat and answer, cool. and it goes down. Your favorite song about South L.A.? Ooh, We Can Freak It by Corrupt. <laughs> by Corrupt. Produced produced by DJ Battlecat. Yes, yeah. yes. And then, and if I had to say the second, if we just going to go South LA and it's Corrupt and the Dog Pound and Snoop, uh, Cali is active. Yes, Cali is active. Is, Cali is active. Because yeah, so. that's the old radioactive record. All right. Outside of anybody you're related to. Okay. The South LA artist who has influenced you the most. I'm going to have to give it to Kendrick Lamar. Okay. I'll give it to Kendrick Lamar. I I believe that he, in so many ways, hit the nail on the head. And I'm just proud. I'm proud of what he's done to and in music. You know, it's it's cool that. And I think we have similar influences, too. Like, I found out my favorite rapper was in the studio with him 
not even collaborating just to be part of the process wow. when he was working on Good Kid Mad City you know mm-hmm. uh, Andre 2000 was pulling up and stuff like that and him working with Dre so it's like uh, before <laughs> before my come up I would press play on his earlier projects um, in my classroom and the homie from Compton while I was still at UCLA put me up on Kendrick so before we watched it all happen we opened for him in section 80 2011 yeah. I'm talking I'm talking overly dedicated oh, and wow. before that wow. you know like even before overly dedicated he got an old song that was just on YouTube about all about Beyonce <laughs> you know what I'm saying <laughs> and, and at the end he was like I wonder if Jay-Z hear this is he gonna be mad and then he was like man he got the best wife in the world and stuff he ain't worried about me so very nice alright last one uh, your favorite small business my favorite small business that's a good question um I like I'm gonna do a couple Miss Ruby's Bakery on Manchester and Inglewood Red Velvet Red velvet cake uh-huh. and a little chicken sandwich they got go crazy with gr- <laughs> with grilled onions, um, but uh, Broadway Boxing Gym, of course, you know Broadway Boxing yeah. Gym, you know, um, it's a special place when it's open. And I went in there to work out just for a private workout on my own uh, recently, and it nothing, it felt the same. It's like it's good to be there. It's yeah. good for your soul to be there. You know? Right, right, right. Very good. Well, thank you so much. We're here with uh, D Smoke on. MHD off the record. Uh, there will be a playlist. Uh, it'll be heavy on D Smoke. It'll Let's be go. Uh, attached. We're gonna ask you for some suggestions to put on the playlist. Got you. I got uh, you. you know, we'll have radioactive and we can freak it. On, Let's go. On, uh, Cali on is it. active. Yeah, I'm sorry. Cali, Cali is, is active yeah. and radioactive because that's all I hear when I hear that record. There we go. Yeah. Uh, is that where the sample comes that's from? That's the sample. Got yeah. You. I forgot who made that record. That was like a early 80s mm, mm, bang, it was bang, um bang. it was uh it was like around the time it was like when dre was in um world-class wrecking crew yeah it's like it's around that it's an electro gotcha. joint um but we'll figure yeah somebody's googling it we're gonna put so. that in a car i'm googling <laughs> it too so. and this is my walking historian if you haven't already all right it. all right yeah so very nice uh but again thank you so much uh, if you work out, get over to the boxing to the boxing gym uh, on Spotify, all the streaming forms. Uh, Mayor of Kingston on Paramount Plus, or Kingstown, uh, Kingstown. Yeah, sorry, yeah. it's not a British show. Right, <laughs> it's an American show. <laughs> and a book soon to come. Yep, Vivid Isaiah. Vivid Isaiah uh, yeah. soon to come, and uh, just a, a real Renaissance man in our community. So again, thank you so much, D Smoke. Right, all right, appreciate it. I know you enjoyed that insightful interview with rapper D Smoke, but we aren't finished yet. We still have our staffers sit down with Economic Development Deputy Albisael Del Valle, who will speak with us about the current Broadway Sur project, where Council District 8 is delivering an investment to address the urgent traffic safety and environmental equity needs on the South Broadway Corridor in Los Angeles. Before we get to that, here are a few community announcements. Mark your calendars for our beginner line dancing class, which takes place on Fridays from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at our Constituent Services Center, located at 8475 South Vermont Avenue. This is a great way to get your body moving, learn some new steps, and connect with your neighbors in CDA. All classes are 100% free, but $3 donations are welcomed for the dance instructor. For more information, call our Constituent Services Center at 213-485-7616. Again, 213-485-7616. Are you looking for meaningful work where you can get paid while helping your community? Well, I've got some good news. The Office of Mayor Karen Bass is hiring for their Summer Night Lights program. Summer Night Lights is a community and gang intervention initiative that aims to provide a safe, engaging environment for youth and families during the summer evenings by offering recreational, educational, and cultural activities at public parks. If you're interested in being part of this work, come to Mayor Bass's SNL Hiring Hub event and explore the various full-time positions available. The Hiring Hub takes place Saturday, March 9th 
from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the South L.A. Sports Activity Center located at 7020 South Figueroa Street. For more information and to find out what to bring, check out the link posted in the show notes. Calling all first-generation homebuyers, the California Dream for All Shared Appreciation Loan Program could help you take the first step in buying your first home, as well as provide significant down payment and or closing cost assistance. The California Dream for All Shared Appreciation Loan Program aims to ensure there are equitable opportunities for homebuyers. For more information, make sure to check out calhfa.ca.gov dreams. Now it's time to sit down with a staffer. Here, we talk with a CD8 staff member to learn a little bit more about the work we do to support our constituents, community organizations, small businesses, and other vital institutions in our district. For this segment, we sit down with Albisael Del Valle, the Economic Development Deputy for Council President Pro Tempore Marquise Harris-Dawson. In his role, Albisael, also known as Albi, leads the charge in harnessing the potential of both city-owned and private land for the benefit of the community. Albi's influence also extends to the legislative arena, where he supports Councilmember Harris Dawson as chair of the Planning and Land Use Committee. Nearly eight years ago, he joined the council office, fully immersing himself in the vibrant heartbeat of South LA, a community he proudly calls home. So welcome, Albie. Thank you for joining us for a sit down with the staffer. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here because there are some great new things happening in our district. And one of those things that's happening was mentioned in the interview with mm. uh, the MHD and D Smoke. MHD brought up the Broadway corridor and the development that's happening there. So I would first like to, the listeners to know a little bit about what the project is, why it was developed and created, and also what people can expect in the future. Yeah, well, it's really exciting because I lived in the neighborhood for five years. So this whole region is close and dear to my heart um, for many different reasons. Um, And one of them being that my neighbors and I did not have access to much. But most importantly, we had no access to food. So that, to me, was such a basic necessity that we couldn't reach. And uh, f- for that and many other reasons, this neighborhood is so dear to me. There is a strong, strong momentum to completely transform Broadway. Um, and as we transform Broadway, we envision the entire commercial community and the community itself to be uplifted along with it. So what, for people who may not be as familiar with that part of LA, Broadway is a street yeah. on the east side of the 110 freeway. Yes. And, uh, and, and I want you to explain the significance of me explaining that particular detail. Yeah. Let's clarify that this is not North Broadway. We're talking about <laughs> South Broadway, uh, but in particular between Manchester to Imperial, right? So um, the, the, there are many reasons why this is so important, but one of them is that Broadway was sort of created to be uh, an alternative to the freeway, but it's a residential street. So on Broadway, for example, more people die um, from pedestrian deaths in car-related deaths than from gun violence uh, or public any public safety issue or domestic violence. So traffic uh, safety is extremely important in this area. It's extremely important. And we want to make sure that kids and families that are that live there are safe there. But yeah, it's it's a it's a very, very crucial corridor in our neighborhood. It goes I mean, it takes you directly downtown and and basically all the way down to the port. So it's a it's a big, big corridor and it's extremely important to us. So as we envision and we strategize the future for South LA, we, we saw this corridor as one of the most important. Uh, and, you know, related to the uh, interview with the council member and Dee Smoke, um, you know, we always envisioned that our work would inspire, but not only inspire, truly facilitates 
the development of local talent and the development of local businesses. Because we knew that if we left Broadway and the neighborhood in status quo, no investment would come to the neighborhood. And people would really just have a hard time lifting up their businesses off the ground. Why do you feel like there's such a struggle in that particular area for businesses? Well, I think one of the main issues is the infrastructure. This part of the neighborhood and the, the city has been disinvested for so long. Let's say a local talent or a local entrepreneur wants to partner with somebody. They take them to the neighborhood. The building might look nice, but the sidewalks don't. The street it's certainly dangerous, and, and people can't access that particular property easily without you know, the, the hazard of getting killed by a vehicle. And so there's a lot of services that needed to be installed first. And for that reason, we have, I mean, close to $200 million of improvements or some project one or, or another um, scheduled for, for Broadway. Because we want to ensure that when our folks want to develop a business, they get all of the services needed. All of the services that other parts of the city get, they have right here in their neighborhood. So we have a project called Broadway Sur, which completely redesigns Broadway. It's $120 million that we have uh, that's currently under construction. And it's going to create a beautiful atmosphere for pedestrians, for uh, bike walk. I mean, for I'm sorry, for cyclists, but also for people that are driving and the neighbors that are, you know, want to get home, they'll get home safely. But not only that, you know, we're changing the infrastructure of what green space means in the middle of a, of a street, in the middle of a neighborhood. And also, how do we retain water? How do we make sure that we take care of our environment uh, and the pollution that comes through our neighborhood because the truth is that when you look at this neighborhood, it's getting polluted from all sides. You have airplanes going above, you have the 110 freeway, the 105 freeway. I mean, you have factories next next to it. So as we're completely redesigning the street and building it anew, we want to make sure that we also think about how can we keep our neighborhoods um, much cleaner than before. And this is part of the equity and investment, you know. So that's one of the projects that we have um, called Broadway Sud, and, and people can look it up online. It has beautiful renderings, um, and it's just a great work of the city of Los Angeles. I love that. And one of the things that I found to be really impressive about the project is the community input. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that and yeah. why that's important? I mean, it's there is nobody that can find solutions better than the people that live in the neighborhood. I don't care how many degrees you have, the neighbor that's living there will know more about you, about the street than you do, uh, and and that's what we found. And 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 we we don't discriminate. I mean, from the from the seniors that live in the senior apartments to the high schoolers that 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 go to Burton Tech Senior High School on 102nd, they had wonderful ideas about how we should experience this street and how we should interact with the medians and how we should interact with the bike paths. And we worked with John Jones from Eastside Riders and did a bike ride and and sort of explored our own neighborhood and learned more, to, more about it from a cyclist standpoint. But yeah, we had countless sessions with high schoolers, with working class families, with seniors to really dig in and find out what are the things that we need? Like, what are what are the things that we're lacking? For people that are taking the bus, what are you experiencing in that particular bus stop? And we want to take all that into account. So that, that was beautiful in the brainstorming process. I think that's such a significant thing that you said, that the people who know the neighborhood are the people who are in the neighborhood, yeah. from the neighborhood, of the neighborhood. And they can tell you, you know, anyone else, doesn't matter how many degrees they have, it doesn't matter how high up in the political hierarchy they are, mm-hmm. none of that matters if you're not from that community. Yeah. You're not going to be nearly as understanding. You're not going to be nearly as educated. You're not going to have 
any of the things that the people from there have in order to really design what they want and need. Yeah. So that community input is it was one of the things that I found to be the most impressive. And also when other people come through the neighborhood, they can say they were a part of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, the uh, well, first of all, the council member ensures that we are very robust in our community engagement. I mean, it's one of the pillars of our work here. Uh, but in the inception of the entire idea, it, it was all founded by a pastor by the name of uh, E.L. Williams. He had a church down there on 108th. And when we came into office, he made us promise that we would revitalize this street. And he has now been passed into a, a new dimension, but we will finish this work in his memory. But yeah, he, he from the very beginning of the work, it was a pastor that advocated for his community. And since we made sure that we continued on. So in his memory will definitely will make him proud. I love that. So special shout out to him in his other dimension. <laughs> yes. And, 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 love thing, him. and that's one of the things that people need to also remember is how important it is to be involved locally. Yeah. Because even after you pass on, the community, the children, the future still is still there. Yeah, and and well, thinking about it, like you never know the legacy that you will leave behind or the the impact. Because when I would talk to him about it, and he would reprimand me for not going to church on Sunday, <laughs> he was really just thinking about let's light up Broadway, let's put like a Christmas tree, let's do these things that are you know very nice. But we kind of ran with it. And then the kids were like, whoa, what if we just, instead of having three lanes, let's do two lanes. Let's put them really, really small and let's make sure that people have to slow down. And and let's just put like a, a big park right in the middle of the whole median. Yes. They went beyond <laughs> like what I'm sure uh, Pastor was dreaming of and definitely what we were thinking of. So, yeah, you never know how 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 your legacy can impact the neighborhood. And how empowering that is for, right. the, for the young people who are involved in this mm -hmm. and to see it come to fruition, to be able to see what happens there and that they had input. Yeah. And, and it makes you feel more like this is your community. Mm -hmm. And I think that's essential. Yeah. And we see that also with the seniors around 94th and Broadway. So as I mentioned earlier, this is a food desert. So we have really like no options. So on 94th and Broadway, which is a city-owned land, we, we were able to get a project that will provide 181 units of housing with an Aldi. But like a full grocery store, not one of these tiny uh, grocery stores that we've seen. And the seniors there, through the pandemic and even before the pandemic, were so vocal about it. And I remember Auntie Kathy, everybody in our office has had a conversation with Auntie Kathy. She's a senior in one of the senior apartments right there on 94th and Broadway. She, she with her walker, would take the bus to the grocery store. And sometimes she'll go to Inglewood. So that means that she's taking two buses and then bring her groceries back with her. So for her and her community, you know, they've made sure that whatever we built in that lot, that it has a full grocery store so that they can just walk right in there, walk right out and just take one sidewalk <laughs> to this grocery store. So, yeah, I mean, throughout Broadway, we've seen the momentum of community engagement and how that really impacts and benefits the entire neighborhood. And it was really encouraging to see what D Smoke is doing at the boxing gym right there on Broadway because that's exactly what we want to see. We want to encourage, facilitate, and empower, if we can, our local folks to, to do something for the community and, and, and bring more assets to the community. So that's, that's been beautiful to see uh, on Broadway. Yes. And I'm glad you brought up that point about D Smoke, which is, you know, that point about him opening up the, the boxing gym. Well, reopening it really right yeah but the other thing that hit me about what he talked about was 
how important that space was to mm-hmm. him and to the community. Mm-hmm. And I like what you just pointed out. We need more of us from our community, local people, to be investing in our communities. We can do this, right? Yeah. And empowering our artists to come back to our communities. Because so much art comes out of South L.A. Yeah. So much art comes out of South L.A. Let's make sure that we're doing our part, which is I, I love what we're doing in our office in CD8, making sure we're doing our part that we have the infrastructure here. We're trying to build the infrastructure here to bring these artists and bring mm-hmm. people here to continue to invest in the community. The space has to also be there. The foundation has to be laid there. Making sure that people can safely get through the neighborhood impacts the businesses in that area greatly. Yeah, and it creates an ecosystem for for the community. So, you know, just thinking about the corridor, which is, you know, about about 1.5 miles you know, we have schools that can easily be connected to the boxing gym. And then we have a another slated project going for that will be located on 86 and, and Broadway called Manchester Urban Homes. We'll have families there that, that will eventually access a home buying program that will only, that only be accessible for local families. So I'm just seeing, you know, people can live there. They can go to school in this great wonderful school and then they can you know enjoy green space in the middle of the median and then go to a boxing gym and work out we're creating an ecosystem or uplifting the ecosystem that already exists so i think that's yeah that's what we want to see and that's what we want to really create with with the resources that we have as a city i mean we cannot start the businesses but we can certainly create the infrastructure and support the ecosystem that's already there. I love that. Thank you so much for joining us here for sit down with the staffer. I know that our listeners learned so much from hearing you talk about this project, but the other thing I got to hear was how passionate you are about this community. Having lived there, you, you also got the chance to experience what they experienced Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to explain how good it makes me feel as a South L.A. lifelong resident to know that the people that are working for us are getting it. Mm -hmm. They're there, they're involved, and they're passionate. So thank you for that, Albie. Thank you, Siobhan. Thank you for listening to MHD Off the Record. I'm your producer, Siobhan Taylor. For more information, please visit MHDCD8.com. And follow MHDCD8 on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't forget to rate us five stars, subscribe, and share with a friend.